0: Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com and you might just hear an answer on our next series.
1: And I think so many of us are looking for someone externally to tell us like how to live or what to do to get us out of that space where we're drowning. And the smallest shift is one, starting to take ownership for yourself of like, oh, I get to save me. I often will say to both myself, In moments where things are really hard and sometimes to my clients and it's it's not a nice word all the time. It can be a hard word, but I say no one's coming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know who you're waiting for, but no one's coming. Right. So if you want things to be different, you've got to be the person who's going to make this shift happen Mm -hmm. and then recognize that the shift is not as hard as you imagine it to be, that you don't need a whole life overhaul most of the time. Most of the time, it's a tiny tweak in our life. Like whatever it is, these are like these tiny shifts that can totally change the trajectory of our lives.
2: Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. I'm your host, Nicole Ingram. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Hey, y'all, we're so grateful to have you with us again today. We are jumping into a conversation with our friend and life planner, Chanel Dokun. Chanel recently wrote an incredible book called Life Starts Now How to Create the Life You've Been Waiting For. And Hannah and I do everything in our power to try to glean as much wisdom from Chanel as we possibly can during our time together. I absolutely loved hearing about some of the twists and turns Chanel's own story has taken to bring her to the moment she currently inhabits. Her story really informed how she helps others on their journeys in pursuit of the good life. She really practices what she preaches, and she's used so many of the tools she helps others utilize to take narrative control of their lives, to write her own grand story, a life rooted in her unique purpose and filled with deep joy. You are going to love Chanel, and I can't wait for you to meet her, so let's dive in. Hello, Miss Chanel Dokun. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. We're so happy that you are here with us. Chanel is our beautiful friend based in atlanta formerly by way of new york how about that by way of new york um she is a certified life planner a relationship expert the author of life starts now chanel tell us everything (laughs) tell us all the things are you gonna plan our lives are you gonna plan 45 minutes i need you to
1: plan mine (laughs) in 45 minutes yeah Um, I will try. I will definitely try as best I can. (laughs) Perfect. No, no, no.
2: Perfect. No, really, how did you become a life planner? Tell us what a life planner is. How's that different from a life coach? I know you've trained as a marriage and family therapist. How is that different from therapy? Give us, let's make the distinctions now so that we're on the right foot. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I am a life planner, which is essentially a guide that helps you figure out your large purpose and also figures out a strategic plan to move you into that larger purpose, right? So the way that I always make this distinction between life planning and life coaching is this idea of like, what if you woke up on the side of the road and you totally had amnesia? You didn't know who you were. You didn't know where home was or where you were headed. You were just sitting there lost. And some well-meaning person came up beside you and asked you like, hey, do you need help? Can I get you home? Well, their help would be pretty useless to you (laughs) in that moment because you have Mm -hmm. no idea where home is. And so they can't actually help you reach any particular destination. First, you've got to figure out like what's your identity and where are you headed? And then from there, they can actually be really valuable in your life. And so I think a lot of times when folks want to go into some sort of coaching process they actually start a little bit too late in the process Mm. because they have no idea what their objectives are or they're not sure that that a big pursuit of their life is actually the place that they want to go. And so they work with a coach that helps them reach goals that never would have been the goals that they would actually have wanted to set at the outset. (laughs) Mm. So we kind of start a step back and we figure out first, okay, who are you? What's meaningful to you? What's your life really about? What are your talents and gifts? And What are you uniquely wired to do in the world? And then how do we help you get back on track and move into that to a greater degree?
3: I love that distinction. It's so helpful. I never had thought about it that way. And I think it parallels really well to like therapeutic work, which I know you are also trained in. And so I'm sure you pull some of that into that. But even like, I feel like when people go into therapy, they're like, I want to fix this or like, there's always a goal and then therapists are like, let's reel it back. Like (laughs) what, like what got you here? Like, why is this the way you are? I feel like, you know, it's all about exploring your present and your past to then envision the future you actually want, instead of just right. like, I want to do this, I want mm. to fix that, I want to have this. Um, it's like, we don't know what we want until we can be present with ourselves and reflect back on what got us there. So I love that. And I feel like that's such a empowering way to look at where we want to go in the future.
2: Can you give us a little bit of your process in terms of helping people find out where they want to go like obviously we know you would that would include a lot of question asking right but (laughs) what you're describing sounds very like could be very physical could be very visual could be like in Mm -hmm. my mind you've got a big space like a big office space that someone could just like get down and dirty with figuring out (laughs) who they are (laughs) what they need what what they want where they're headed can you tell us like what what does that look like
1: there's a lot of grunting. <laughs> no, oh. there's, there's no grunting. There's no grunting. <laughs> when you said that, I thought like a large space, like I was really yes, um, just working, working with people. Yeah. yeah, just heavy. Um, no, it's it looks like a lot of charts. It looks like a lot of uh, reflection time a lot of laughter. Honestly, I am Mm. really big on having a good time. I think that sometimes when we approach purpose work, we make it so serious. Like this stuff, it it feels weighty. It feels intense. And so we approach it with this sobriety that I don't think we're actually meant to approach our lives with. I think there's like a Mm. little room for levity. So for me, it's a lot of question asking and walking people through structure. And I love surprise. I love taking people on a journey where, you know, you're you're kind of in a particular exercise and you don't know how it's going to fit into the whole until we get to the end. And in that way, it feels a little bit like a parlor trick every time because, awesome. you know, the clients are always like, oh, my gosh, that's my life. I never thought we were going to get there. And it, we totally mm. figured it all out. So but, you know, I will say, too, lately with, um, you know, kind of post pandemic or you know, in in the wake of that, I've been able to work virtually, too. So it is people working um, in person with me in a big room. But mm-hmm. also, I love a good, you know, portal device or whatever it may be and getting to yeah. sit and do this work virtually as well.
3: That's amazing. I envision a lot of Post-it notes and
1: whiteboards. Oh, That's yeah, what I picture. Yeah. Oh
3: yeah. Um, I love that you called out that it is surprisingly fun. I like mm-hmm. hadn't really thought about that and how we often approach life with a lot of serious tones. And yeah. I think you know we're obviously doing that from like places where we've had to defend ourselves growing up or whatever. Um, these narratives that have formed us. But like kind of what life could look like if we approached it with a little bit more like. But yeah. what if it's fun? Yeah. I think you know we all take ourselves too seriously. Um and. We can learn so much from play and learn so much from curiosity, like all these things that we innately were good at as kids. We we lose along Mm -hmm. the way just because we were told that they weren't as valuable or um, whatnot. But how that really allows us to expand our lens and like not just yeah not have to be so serious all the time. And we see that a ton at onsite. I know I personally did a program at onsite a couple years ago and. I was shocked by how much I laughed. Like, I have never laughed as much. I've never played as hard. I've never felt as silly and free and comfortable in my skin. And like, you go to something like that, you go to life planning, or you go do some therapy work, and you think like, oh, this is going to be really hard. And, and some of it is, but hard doesn't also have to mean terrifying or hard doesn't have to mean like you hate it. Like it also can mean that you get to connect with parts of yourself that you never have. And so I love that permission, but like this sort of stuff, dreaming about your future, dreaming about what you actually want, dreaming
1: about what matters to you, that it can be fun. I love that. Yeah. I think the serious tone or energy that we bring to it can sometimes force, like as force false outcomes, right? From that pressured position, we Mm -hmm. start to kind of box ourselves into what is okay, what's permissible from the rest of the world, or, you know, the narrative that we grew up in our families, whatever story that we've believed, or the larger cultural narrative, you know, what's acceptable to the rest of the world. And so that kind of forces us to create these things that aren't actually authentic to who we are. When you kind of let go and you're like, hey, anything goes right now. Like, what do I actually love? It starts to open up this part of yourself where you're like, oh, wait, no, that's me. Like, I think in laughter, we actually start to realize a little bit of like, oh, no, it really tickles me. Like, I'm I'm amused by that. It's fun. (laughs) I want more of that. And we're able to start to attract more of that and build a life around the good stuff. Like, if we're trying to help you plan for a beautiful life, like, it should start in a process that feels pretty fun and beautiful, too, rather than one that's Mm -hmm. really weighty and painful.
2: Yeah. I'm thinking, like, does that feel like inner child work? on occasion? Because I I know that obviously there are some things in our lives that we all have these wounds that can really be these sticking points and we can't get past them. And I would imagine that those obstacles, I mean, if I'm imagining being one of your clients, I would think, okay, these things would perhaps be in my way from achieving the things that I want to, becoming the person that I want to be. And I would imagine too that that would require a lot of reflection, looking back, like tending to those places that are really painful and and can be scary, even even though we get to the part where we can actually start peeling back the layers and achieve some liberation. But, yeah, I would I would love to hear you kind of talk that through.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely inner child work there. I function mostly now as a life planner, but, you know, like we have said, my training is as a marriage and family therapist. So I always will carry with me this family systems part of me and mm-hmm. wanting to think about the whole of who you are and the context of your relationships and what your family of origin was like and how that impacted you. And so there's definitely some of that that comes out in my life planning work. I always say that's what's different about me as a life planner than maybe others is because of my therapy training. I'm not trying to do therapy within life planning, but I can't take off that hat fully. And I also think of it as being like narrative therapy. For me, um, my training and my background is also as an English major and I worked in publishing and, you know, obviously I'm an author now, but I'm obsessed with finding the right language for things. Mm. And so... I think Mm -hmm. we get very caught up in telling a particular story about our life. And I think that language uh, creates these limits in our lives, right? Or finding the right language. And so some of the work that I do with clients is helping them find new, different, fresh, better, bigger language to describe what they're experiencing. And we don't even have to change the actual circumstances, but the application of new language to it can be wildly liberating for them as well. So it's both things. It's definitely inner child work for sure. And then I would say it's kind of a narrative therapy approach too.
3: I love you've alluded to some of your past jobs that have kind of got you here, but can you I like I feel like people in this line of work Don't always seek it out necessarily at the beginning. It's usually prompted by some sort of story of their own life. So how did you kind of get into this work in the first place?
1: Yeah, so I got into this work, um, a moment that I had in Rockefeller Center. So I had moved from California to New York City. I desperately wanted to work in magazine publishing. That was my dream, an English major, right? Mm -hmm. And I landed a job at Hearst at House Beautiful And House Beautiful used to build this kitchen of the year in the center of Rock Center every year, right where the big Christmas tree goes. And so um, we would host events. They would turn it into a bar after the one week of like industry events would pass. And we'd watch the U.S. Open and hang out there and host parties and whatnot. So I remember standing there behind these velvet ropes at this event and Rock Center has 350,000 like tourists or people that pass through every day. And so I just remember all these tourists kind of coming around and wondering like, who's that girl? And, you know, and and the rest of the team that was there too. Like, who are all these folks? And they must be important. They're behind the ropes. And I thought, man, like this is the life that I thought I wanted. I have made it. I'm doing the thing. I work in like New York City, the greatest city in the world. and (laughs) And I am like, you know, at the magazine. And it immediately felt so fulfilling. And I thought like, this is not enough. And so for me, um, I started to make a pivot then because I realized I was so much more passionate about some of the work that I was doing in the margins of my life. I had been helping out with, um, I was running a blog about dating and I started helping all these folks with their relationships. And that prompted me to get training as a marriage and family therapist so I could Mm. be more equipped in, you know, not just common sense guidance, And through that, that got me into the life planning space as well, because I thought it's not just about helping, you know, women with their love life. I want to help women with the whole of their life. So um, that's how I landed in that space.
3: That's awesome. It sounds to me like you life planned yourself. Yeah, totally. Oh, I can do this for other people. You know, like you (laughs) looked inside and said like, What's working, what's not working. I love that you even said, like, I looked at what I was doing in the margins of my life. Because I think that's where we see, like, what we care about a lot. I hope we all get to have jobs that we care about a ton. Um, I'm really grateful for that at onsite. But I know everyone's uh, immediate need to fill their financial situations, like, doesn't always feel like that. And so I love that even if we're not, quote unquote, like, living our dream working life right now, like, where are we getting energy? Where do we light up? Start there. Like, how do we do that? So I love that you life life planned yourself. That's awesome. yeah.
1: And how can you open up to? And this is what I spend a lot of my time with clients trying to figure out: is how can you apply your talents in different spheres of your life? Sometimes we develop a very rigid sense of the way that we can implement our gifts and like use them. So mm-hmm. you know, for me, I was a great writer and editor, and I was wonderful with language. That's something I did really well, and I loved bringing great insight through the articles I was writing. And then I realized, oh, wait, I could actually do the same thing, but in someone's life and do that real Mm -hmm. time. So it's the same skill. It's the same talent that I have. I'm just using it in a different space. And that was wildly freeing for me to recognize that like, oh, your purpose doesn't really change, (laughs) right? Like you have the same purpose. Your purpose just looks different depending on the context that you Mm -hmm. find yourself in.
2: Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that you sort of took narrative control of your own life. And that's really what you're helping your clients do. And I'm thinking, have you ever seen that movie Stranger Than Fiction? It's um, Emma Thompson, Will, F- Will Ferrell. Yes, yes. It's fantastic. And she and Emma is the narrator and she, you know, the story is unfolding. And and I love I'm I'm seeing you kind of like hovering over your own story in that way. And, you know, in your book, you there's a Parker Palmer quote that you bring up that um, says something to the effect of not letting your life happen to you, but becoming your own agent, your own advocate, and you're really forging your own path. And um, yeah, I would love just to hear a little bit how, like, what does that look like when you're sitting down with your clients and you're like, okay, you're clearly in here because you want to write a better story. Let's get, let's get to work. What does that look like?
1: Yeah. Uh, We spend a lot of time really listening. So I love Parker Palmer because a lot of the Palmer quotes are all about listening to your life speak, right? Mm -hmm. And this idea of your life is always saying something to you, right? And do we ever get quiet enough to actually slow down and set our agenda aside to pay attention to the things that are kind of coming out of our, our own lives, right? Those internally motivated ideas. And so, um, that's a lot of my work with clients is just helping them get to spaces where they can start to pay attention. We look back at their life stories. We look at how they have seen, you know particular success with certain gifts or skills that they've demonstrated through the years. We do a lot of fun personality testing stuff, which I love. I mean, um I don't know if you all are Enneagram fans, but Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Of course. I mean, (laughs) who am I talking to? Yeah. I'm an Enneagram one. And so, which is not a shocker if you, you know, it's like, of course, I want to fix the world, right? Because everything's (laughs) broken and I need to plan. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I love that. We'll do stuff like that with clients of trying to make sense of some of these things. But we weave all these like little disparate parts of their lives together and try to put it into one life purpose statement, as well as several different life rhythms That can um, be things that they go back to again and again to keep them kind of in that pursuit of their core purpose.
3: I love that you just alluded to a little bit about you, you're one. Um, And before we started recording, we talked a little bit just about who you were. Um, But I'd love to revisit that with our listeners because you said something kind of about that wanting to fix what's been broken. And I'd love if you could speak to just who you are aside, I love what you do. I want you to complain all my life things, and this is amazing. But I also (laughs) want to know you like, who are you and what do you care about?
1: Yeah. So I really care about exactly that, like fixing the broken things. I think that the world has all these things that are problematic. (laughs) And I really Really? love. Yeah. I I don't know if you've noticed, but things are falling apart around around here. (laughs) Um, And so I can't help but notice all of that. And I am really passionate about helping myself and others experience wholeness and health and i just believe when we're all operating from that space of wholeness that we can radically change the world around us. and so i'm all about health. so i spend a lot of time with my family. like on a practical level i'm a married lady in atlanta and i have two kids. a little boy who's 7 and who makes feeling windows. he he likes to paint windows of his feelings. um so he's very wow, intuitive. Oh,
3: yeah. sweet. <laughs> um,
1: And I have a 12-week-old little baby girl, and she's wonderful. And so a lot of my life is, like, trying to figure out how to parent them well, how to help them be, like, healthy, whole people, helping my husband. He's a psychiatrist, and so he's helping others be whole, but I try to help him (laughs) in his wholeness as well. So that's where a lot of my energy goes.
3: I have not read your book, but I think from even just taking in your social media and such, I think Mm -hmm. you kind of talk about this concept of a North Star. It's cool to hear you talk about what you care about because you say it with such authority because you've really been intentional about what that is. Can you speak to kind of what that concept of the North Star is and how you help people kind of identify theirs?
1: Yeah. So that's definitely that authority that I have actually comes from my life purpose statement. So I'll say like if you were to ask me, why do you exist in the world? the statement that I've kind of come to through the life planning process is I would say like, I exist to identify brokenness and share ideas to empower wholeness and facilitate cultural transformation. So every one of my clients, I hope to get get them to a point where they have that clear of a statement that they know this is why I show up in every space. And I show up that way because I know that I'm uniquely equipped with certain talents and gifts um, that will allow me to be successful in that way. Um, I have something to like bring to the world in that way. But also I'm deeply concerned and I care about it. And my heart is like moved in that way as well. And so when we talk Mm -hmm. about North Star, it's really finding this kind of place of purpose. And I'll often describe our purpose as like kind of sitting at this intersection of our talents, our heart and our influence. So... What do I do well? Like, who am I? What do I care about? Like, what does my heart move toward? And then finally, like, what's the influence that I have? So where have I been uniquely positioned or gifted or, or you know, mm-hmm. equipped? What do I have access to that can have a positive impact in the world?
0: Hey, friends, Mackenzie here. I want to interrupt this incredible interview with Chanel to talk to you a little bit about the Living Centered Experience. So I love this interview all about finding purpose and living a life you love. I'm really passionate about this topic because it reminds me of my Living Centered program experience. What I love about our Living Centered experience is that you're not allowed to talk about what you do. And what I found is that I often tie the story I'm living to the work that I'm doing. So going through onsight's Living Centered experience for me was all about remembering who I was before the world told me who to be, and that I'm a human being, not a human doing. I was given the space to examine, re-envision, and remember the story that I actually want to be living. I discovered that a lot of my life was just spent going through the day-to-day, and I was letting life happen to me. It was a wake-up call and an opportunity to really make a pivot so if you're finding yourself there today, if you have been listening to this interview and have something stirring inside of you that says, I need to figure out how to live the life I want to live, I would encourage you to check out our Living Centered Experience. You can connect with our team and they'll help you determine if a Living Centered program is a fit for the next season of your life. Friends, you're worth it. And on site we help you be a better you. So call one 800 341 7432 Or learn more at experienceonsiteworkshops.com.
2: In your book, you describe how to find sort of like, okay, well, what lights me up, right? In terms of trying to find your purpose, trying to find this sort of locus on the map, what lights me up? And you describe this as flickers of genius. And I love this concept. And I would love to hear you, you know, break this down for our listeners, because I really, it's something I've been chewing on since I finished your book. So please enlighten us all. How do we find our flickers of genius?
1: Where might we find them? Yeah. So I think that, you know, sometimes we think it's one thing, right? When we're trying to figure out what our talents are or whatever, we go to something. I already mentioned I'm an Enneagram one. So we'll go to something like, you know, give me my Enneagram number or give me my, you know, Myers-Briggs personality type or whatever it is. And we want that to explain all of ourselves, like all of who we are. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it doesn't work that way. Um, (laughs) It's wild to think that. Um, And so what I feel like we pick up from those things are these little flickers, right? There's these little truths that I can glean from these different spaces. And what's more interesting to me are the common threads that we find. And those are usually the larger clues to what our purpose is. So, or not necessarily what our purpose is, but at least what our talents are as part of what our purpose may be. So you can find them, yes, in things like those personality testing um, options that are out there, you know, doing your strengths finder. You can also find them in the spaces of what do people say about me, you know, and the people who know you best. There's a whole host of things that I kind of list in the book, but one that I know that most people tend to ignore (laughs) is like, what do I think about myself? Like you actually know what you do well. I work with a lot of women. So I find that women in particular are very hesitant to brag on themselves and to lean into the area where they know that they're gifted. They kind of say it with hesitation rather than like, I rock at doing this thing. Like I actually am pretty amazing (laughs) when I show up this way. And so I think that's one important part of your life. And then we want to look for like evidence in past experiences that you had. And, you know, one one thing that I often find is that people like to also mislead themselves Mm. (laughs) or lie to themselves because, you know, the ego takes over and wants to believe that they're a certain way. So um, I love checking against like, do you have any history of success with this? I found my, some of my flickers of genius. um, I used to, this was way back when I was in college ministry, I ended up writing like these recaps from the sermons. And I started kind of writing them just as a point of service for the church and kind of sending them out to different people. And they ended up picking them up and putting them in the church e-newsletter. And because it was a large mega church out in California, they would send this stuff and it ended up going all over the world. And I started to hear back from people over time of, um oh my goodness who's the person who wrote this like recap of last mm. you know Thursday's meeting or last Sunday's service I've been chewing on this idea all week and I was like oh my gosh I'm just like this little college student and I'm changing you know this 40 50 year old lady's life who's like over in England that happened to get this email mm. and so for me that was one of my first little flickers of genius of wow, this is a space in my life where I feel like I'm just doing my thing. I feel like the effort that I'm putting out is um, not that it's so difficult. It is sometimes hard to do, like it takes some effort, but it's not exceedingly difficult. But then the reaction and the response that I'm getting from it far exceeds whatever I've put out to do it. And so that was a real sign to me of this might be a space of my talent Because the return is greater than the effort.
2: Yeah. I love thinking about that by way of ease. And then like the ROI is really high because yeah. Like, yeah, I think those things that we're naturally inclined to, right? Like, oh, this is just, this is sort of like an extension of who I am and, and that kind of getting that feedback
1: back being really right. fulfilling. And was that surprising to you at the time? It was. It was both surprising to me of recognizing that this is something that's not natural to everyone else. I think most of the time we downplay our own talents. We think that something that we can do well. We think our genius space is like, oh, everybody's good at that. Mm. And we don't realize that we have some particular unique equipping that's, you know, that's available. And so, yeah, I think the shift for me was realizing that, oh, not everyone can just do this thing. Um, That's something that I happen to do. And it's so darn fun when I do it. I love that.
2: You talk about in your book, sort of wanting to reverse these sort of cultural narratives of success, rewrite those and kind of reestablish what it means to be a successful human. Can you define success? Like, is that obvious? That's a really tall order. But if <laughs> if you were to kind of go against the grain of what culture says success is, what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah. Well, for me, I would say there's a part of my book, I actually wanted it to be the, the title of my book. And the publisher said, I don't know if people are going to buy a book that's called that. So we, mm. <laughs> we didn't put it on the shelves. <laughs> like, all right. Um, I was like, fine, I'll name it. I'll uh, Title a chapter that, but it's about the courage to be nobody. And I really feel like success is having the courage to be nobody, meaning that you have the courage to look unlike anyone else. You have the courage to be um, just wholly yourself and to actually walk in your unique identity and to be indifferent to, you know, have emotionally healthy spirituality. We talk a lot about like being indifferent to the outcome. And so I think that's a piece of it, too, is success is having a level or a healthy amount of indifference in your life of I'm OK um, without any of these other props to support me and make my life function. So I don't need necessarily a ton of other people. Doesn't mean you don't need relationships at all, but I'm not wildly dependent on them. Right. I can have a healthy Um, engagement with them in my life. I don't need a job to be happy, but it's great to do work that's meaningful. I don't need to have particular stuff in my life, but it's nice to have, you know, a roof over my head and all of that too, right? So it's that courage to kind of just be who you are. I love that. Um, I feel like, you know, so often
3: we get so obsessed with what success looks like and it always has to do with things and like titles and everything I heard you say had to do with who you were. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, it goes back even to your purpose and your North Star saying like, I have to decide first, like what I'm gifted at, what lights me up. It's it, And then it's amazing when it's affirmed by others um, and when we can see it come naturally. But the, kind of going back to like the self really checking in with yourself around that yeah
2: there reminds me of david brooks talks about resume virtues versus eulogistic virtues and to be a person who is not about adding stuff to the resume okay i've accomplished this i've achieved this xyz hannah to your point stuff things yeah uh, accolades titles achievements but becoming a person that I mean, if you think about it realistically, like, what are they going to say about me when I'm no longer here? And yeah. will there be that? You're talking, Chanel, a lot about common threads and common denominators in, and who people know us to be. And, you know, that Maya Angelou quote that, like, people, sh- you know, when people show you who they are, believe them. Um, we show people who we are, whether or not we have yeah. the clear, clarified language around that. And I think you're helping people kind of peel away this idea that all the extra stuff is what would make me live the life I want. When you're describing too, you're in the middle of what you thought in Rockefeller Center. Like I'm, I'm behind the velvet rope. And then you're like, I don't even care about the velvet rope. Like that's such a beautiful moment to share with us. And I just love that.
3: Chanel, I'm wondering if you'll, you'll go here with me. So feel free to say like, hell no, I don't know you. I don't want (laughs) to do this. Um, She's like, uh yeah, yeah. No, at, at onsite, when people come to a program, we ask that nobody shares what they do. Um, and we do that really intentionally because so many people have their identity wrapped up in what they do. And we just want to give people space to be human and just be who they are. And for so many of us, that's so uncomfortable. I mean, I don't know, the last time I went to a dinner with someone new and didn't say like, so what do you do? Like, it, it's normal and it's okay because what we do is a part of us, but it's really awkward. We take away people's phones and then we ask them not to share what they do. And that first dinner <laughs> is like so uncomfortable Cause you're like, do you have a dog? Like you don't really know what to say. It's like so (laughs) awkward. Um, but on the first day, you kind of get into your groups. And this is peeling back the curtain a little bit about some of the magic that goes on it on site. But one of the first things we ask people to do, and um, I now actually do this in job interviews, which everyone listening, if you want to ever apply for a job for me, I don't mean to scare you away. But <laughs> so one of the first things we do is we ask people to do what we call like an angel introduction. And so we, we ask people to think of someone that loves them a lot or thinks really highly of them. Um, it could be a partner or it could be a friend or a parent or anything and then we ask people to introduce themselves to the group by way of that person Mm. so I'm wondering if you would indulge us in this exercise and think of someone that like just loves the heck out of you and just thinks so sees the beautiful parts of you and honestly it could even be yourself it doesn't have to be a person it could be you've done a lot of work around this and healing some of that but how would you introduce if you were to say this is Chanel and then get to tell us a little bit about her
1: well, I'll say the first person who came to mind when you said that was my husband, because his, the phrase that he uses for me is always, we've got to get this girl in front of a crowd. Oh. <laughs> He's always, he always says that. So I was thinking, okay, someone who loves me that way. And he would probably say, you know, here is my ridiculously attractive wife. Oh, <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> who is... um. <laughs> Who is, you know, someone who is sharp, someone who is uh, wise, discerning, uh, wildly helpful and creative, who never settles, and someone who is committed to being her best and bringing the best out of others. I think that's how he'd probably Mm. describe me. And also someone who, you know probably says some inappropriate things here and there <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> that he has to deal with, but
3: yeah. Love it. I love that quick exercise and I would encourage people that are listening just to like, you don't have to say it out loud. I think it's powerful to say it out loud because I think putting words into the universe is powerful, but just thinking about like how, because the truth is those are things that we probably believe about ourselves so when we're really honest and like You wouldn't say that if you didn't trust him, that he believed that was true, if you didn't think there was power behind what he was saying. And so, like, it really does help us strip away the, like negative self talk or the oh it's not that big of a deal or like oh i'm kind of good at that like it strips away that and it allows us to see ourselves with the full power that we bring to the table from someone else's perspective and so i like i love that exercise because it allows us to start from a place of a lot of compassion and a lot of empathy and a lot of understanding for our goodness instead sort of oftentimes because of the things we consume and media and everything else we're starting from our badness right. and so like how can we start our life planning, our goals, our deep dive into ourselves and our past from that place of like, no, I'm good. And like, I deserve good because of that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for doing that with us. I love it. Yeah.
2: Thank Just you. Like, thank you for leading us in that, Hannah. I'm like, now I need to be right back.
3: <laughs> do that for
2: myself. <laughs> yeah. do it.
3: I remember the first time I did it in, a, in an interview, which is like, I don't know if I should even say that. Sorry, HR. But sometimes it's just like, I want to know that you can jump out of like this identity piece for you. And like, who are you? What are you bringing to the table? Mm -hmm. And it was the most tender moment I've ever had in an interview where like someone really got to like say how much his mom loved me. I love that. And I'm like, this helped me know you better. This helped me understand who you are. And so I think when we can do that with ourselves, it helps us understand ourselves too.
2: And so beautifully humanizing as well.
3: Mm -hmm. Chanel, I love this
2: idea. You talk about, what it means to be drowning in sort of the sea of your own life, the sea of culture, and you get to be that kind of life, maybe not a lifeguard, maybe a swimming teacher, maybe a swimming coach. You <laughs> you can pick the, the verbiage there, but helping people kind of get their head above water and you talk about like – 10 inch shifts of the head and it reminds me there's a, a thing at on-site two degree shifts and so can you tell us a little bit about what it would look like to move your head 10 inches or whatever however you would kind of phrase that uh, so that someone's not drowning in this sort of sea of all the things that we've been discussing
1: yeah so that comes out of there's a part of the book where I talk about drowning in shallow water and it comes from when I was a kid my first time at a water park like literally almost drowning. <laughs> in the water. And um, it came from this moment where I was crouched down in the water and I was flailing my arms around thinking that I needed someone to come in and just rescue me in some major way. Like, where's the boat? Where's the lifeguard? Like, how come the parents aren't coming along from the sidelines and helping me? And then recognizing, oh my goodness, this whole time, I've just had my little, you know, bubble printed butt in the air at seven years old. And I actually was standing on my feet and I just had my head underwater. And all I needed to do, that little inch shift that you mentioned was just to lift my head up and I could completely save myself. And I think so many of us are looking for someone externally to tell us like how to live or what to do to get us out of that space where we're drowning. And the smallest shift is one, starting to take ownership for yourself of like, oh, I get to save me. I often will say to both myself in moments where things are really hard and sometimes to my clients, and it's it's not a nice word all the time, it can be a hard word, but I say no one's coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know who you're waiting for, but no one's coming. Right. So if you want things to be different, you've got to be the person who's going to make this shift happen
3: mm-hmm.
1: and then recognize that the shift is not as hard as you imagine it to be, that you don't need a whole life overhaul most of the time. Most of the time, it's a tiny tweak in our life. So it might mean that I need to, like, you know, have a little less caffeine, take a nap. It might mean that I need to, like, have one hard conversation with a toxic person in my life. It might mean, like, advocating for myself at work. Like, whatever it is, these are, like, these tiny shifts that can totally change the trajectory of our lives. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you don't mind me mixing metaphors, I often will talk about hitting a golf ball and that idea of, you know, when we are trying to get one of these long drives, I don't golf, so this language may not make sense. So anyone who either. actually golfs, Sorry, they're going to be like, "That's not." <laughs> she's not using the right I'm, words. I'm along for the ride. I'm like when you shoot the basket, right? That's yeah, that's I'm part like, of it. goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. touchdown. <laughs> but I think when you're trying to hit a long drive, there's this idea of okay, I want the the ball to go over there to the left, and then maybe I'm thinking now I need it to go to the right, and I want it to go like a hundred yards the other direction. And to actually send it in that wildly different direction, it's like a one millimeter difference in terms of the angle that you hit this tiny, tiny ball with. It's not this wildly different move. And I think most of the changes in our life are that like one millimeter tweak where it's just a small thing that I do. You know, for me, it's like, I talk about reclaiming the morning and waking up every day and having this like time for myself. And I recognize that like simply that, act of setting the alarm for myself and giving myself 30 minutes of permission just to be who I am without anyone else, that sends my day in one direction versus the day when I wake up at the like whims and demands of everybody else in my family. At OnSite, we call that a two degree shift. And it often, it, you know, you think that like, I think we've said
3: this too, but like people think like, oh, there's this grand idea that's going to change my life or like whatever, And people come to onsite and think like, we're gonna have all the answers. It's like, no, most people's most powerful thing is that they actually get the two degree shift. And like, how we kind of talk about like, if you start out in LA, and you drive, but there's a two degree difference, you're gonna end up in New York or Florida, like there's a massive difference about where you're gonna end up. And how people always want change in those big 180s. Like, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to totally change my life. And, like, sometimes we need a big shift. But most of the time, we just need those small, consistent things. And how, like, if we actually want sustainable change, it has to be those small things. And, like, those are what are going to, make a bigger impact over time yeah and so I like that example of the reclaiming mornings Nicole what's a two degree shift you're doing in your life right now or you want to be doing it's okay if you aren't
2: no this is a great question I have been encouraged by Chanel when you've been talking about in your book reclaiming the morning and that's not that's not a new practice for me like kind of setting some things out the night before like cueing the habit formation kind of like setting Mm -hmm. up my environment Mm -hmm. so that I might be able to do I have to Um, Right now, so I have a six-month-old and a three-year-old getting dressed in the morning. This sounds wild, but this is my reality. It's really hard for me to get to my desk with like a full outfit on. (laughs) So just that's baseline. That's where I'm at. So I set it out the night before, and I must, 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 if I want to enter my day from a place of gratitude and groundedness, I have this alarm that's set. And I should be awake. I mean, we call it a joke alarm too, because I, I'm awake a baby. far before. <laughs> <laughs> it goes up at 7.30, joke alarm. But it's labeled, what are you grateful for? And it stops me in my tracks every time. And it reorients me and I have to take a deep breath. And hopefully I am wearing the clothes that I set out the night before when I do this. But I get to think about all of the blessings that I have in my life. Um, and you know, to the point that was made... A number of times earlier it's never a thing I'm not even you know I'm thankful for my house that's great I'm so blessed to have a roof over my head that's not even what comes to mind it's always people Mm -hmm. it's always the ones I've been given and yeah that would be that's actually a centering practice for me too and I Mm -hmm. I know that reclaiming the morning is your centering practice Hannah what about you
3: I mean, great trend here. I'm kind of on the same boat. But I'm really trying to I'm in uh, realizing that this is about to be a pretty busy season with work. And I don't have kids. So I'm not even being pulled in that direction. So I think when I don't get intentional, I just get into work because yeah. I'm like, well, I have the time I have the margin. And so I realize when I'm getting into and that's something I've struggled with for a long time and worked a lot on of using workaholism as a Kind of coping mechanism, but I am really trying to have practices before and after work to help me exit. Because working at home, you don't yeah. naturally have that, and so uh, yeah, a couple ones that I'm trying to do right now. I did it today. I ordered an alarm that's not on my phone because right. I like I'm just in rolling over and just having my phone before yeah. and after I go to bed and when I rise. So that's something I'm excited about. Um, but really, I'm just trying to have even if it's 15 minutes before I jump into work, like. I'm going to actually just drink my coffee and not mm-hmm. scroll my phone. I'm going to go outside with my dog. I'm going to take a lap. At, I'm going to take a quick walk after work. But something that I'm an Enneagram 8, and so I feel everything in my body. And so yep. something that gets my body agreeing with where I want my mind to be. So a lot of movement practices is what those shifts look like for me. I right love now. that. It's so good. I would add, to.
2: I am attempting to honor <laughs> the weekend as the weekend and take one day To not make plans and to be unbound by time, because I found that when I am unbound by time, I actually can play way better, like whatever that looks like for me, being with my kids without numbers, even being involved. Like I have no time, no idea what time it is and a general idea of maybe when one of them needs to take a nap, you know, to put them down. But yeah, I think kind of getting away from clocks and getting away from this notion of like, okay, there's a boundary here. I start to feel a little bit more human. So that's that's an attempt I'm making. So.
3: Love that. Chanel, as we kind of are wrapping up this conversation, what would be kind of your encouragement to people that are listening that want to live a life of more purpose, that want to maybe take a step back and re-envision what they actually do want?
1: What would be some of your encouragement to them? You know, I would say first just to accept that, you know, your life is worthwhile and meaningful and that you have permission Mm -hmm. to desire more. Um, If the life that you're living currently isn't the one you want, then take notice of that and it's okay and you're not alone in that. Um, So many of us feel that way. And also to do something about it, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) To not just settle. Um, I think so many of us get accustomed to our um, disappointments and they become so familiar that we just kind of keep carrying them around with us as if they're parts of our life and we don't recognize that we can opt out of those things. So whatever's within your control to change, I would, you know, start to make some of those changes. But yeah, to, you know, really step into this place where you get to have fun and you get to explore and take more of an adventurous approach to who you are becoming and get curious about like, what could my life look like and start dreaming again? Because I I think that there is a really beautiful life that awaits you. And it's just a matter of starting to step into it. Mm
2: -hmm. So I'm going to shamelessly plug your book because I love it. I thought it was beautiful. It's called Life Starts Now. You can get it, I think pretty much everywhere. I Chanel reads it on Audible and she's got Ooh. as we can as you can all tell listeners, yeah. she's got a really beautiful voice. But also, would you like to share with our listeners about Women of Consequence, about your community that you've been engaging with?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that I really took away from writing the book is it was the book is rooted in my one-on-one work with people. So it really is a great manual for you if you're trying to figure out your life purpose. It's a great thing to walk through on your own, but I loved um being able to create a space where people can actually implement and get some support either from me directly or from other people who are walking through a similar space. So I have a community, it's virtual. It's called Women of Consequence and That's the place I'm really passionate about now of getting to meet with women one-on-one or rather in a group once a month and get to just help them kind of bring all of these things to life and give them space to workshop all the ideas that are in the book. So um, if you're someone who's kind of looking for a place to do that, um, we'd love to have you. Beautiful.
2: Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.